Welcome to the Friday Night Ohio podcast powered by Goodwill. I'm Cliff Hickman of the Canton Repository. I'm joined tonight in studio by Mike Popovich of the Canton Repository. Hello, Cliff. <laughs> yeah, it's always great to have Mike on board, and we also have a verifiable cornucopia of guests on the Rep Hotline, and we're ready to break down Week 11, Mike. Well, yeah, we had some games tonight involving some of the bigger schools, and the first uh, person we're going to be talking to is uh, Joe Scalzel from the Repository, who watched uh, McKinley defeat Solon tonight up at Stewart Field in Solon by the score of... It was 28 to 15. As I shuffle papers around to find out what the score was. So thanks, Cliff. Uh, but that snapped a uh, six-game losing streak in the postseason for the Bulldogs. And, uh, Joe, first thing, uh, how, how much of a relief did you kind of sense uh, on the McKinley sideline? I mean, none of these uh, players uh, had experienced a playoff win before. They're coming off a loss last week to their uh, rival Maslin. They're on a two-game losing streak. Uh, how much of a relief did you sense that they had? Well, it's funny, when I asked uh, Dan Reardon about it afterward, uh, he gave me like a two-word answer. <laughs> so I think it was, for him, probably, uh, he was pretty sick and tired of talking about it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I think for the for the kids, um, and I talked to Joseph Saipaya, uh, you know, they just kind of had, you know, people telling them that they were cursed and that kind of thing. And I think it's good to just kind of change that narrative and, and obviously, as good as McKinley has been over the last few years, they've, they've struggled down the stretch. They've struggled to win against Maslin. They've struggled to win in, in the playoffs. And, and uh, you know, they, to, to get a win tonight, and not just to get a win, but to get a convincing win, I think makes everybody feel a lot better about how this season's going. Uh, McKinley's going to go on to play Mentor uh, next week at uh, uh, at a site to be determined. And, uh, you know, Joe, reading your story tonight, uh, you talked about uh, uh, the Bulldogs had contributions from a lot of people. But I think kind of maybe one thing that really stood out maybe was the play of their defense. And uh, you had mentioned that, uh, um, you know, Solon had 312 yards of offense. But one big factor was that... Uh, they they drove in the McKinley territory seven times and they came up with no points. So or they or they scored just twice. But how big of a factor yeah. was that? Well, yeah. I mean, it's funny. A lot of the, a lot of the drives either started in McKinley territory or they they got there really quickly. And um, but you never really got the sense that uh, that Solon's offense could really do a whole lot, and, and they had to just work for everything. Like every drive took a lot of plays and. And, uh, you know, just the, the, the type of the, the teams that have worn out McKinley this year, like Perry and Massimo over the last two weeks, have really punishing running games. And, and, and someone just doesn't have that. So, um, you know, when you, when you have to go athlete against athlete, you know, McKinley's going to usually win that matchup. And, and uh, their defense just played, you know, really well and, and with a lot of energy all night. And, and uh, yeah, they have to be really the key to the game. Uh, one of the things uh, that, I noticed that, you know, looked like probably gave McKinley a lot of momentum was, uh, you know, after they went up 21 to eight, uh, Jonah Lytle came up with, uh, with a big interception and that seemed to probably was the, was probably the one play that probably put them on a, on a, on a course to victory. Yeah. And and I don't, I don't, if I remember right, they didn't, they didn't score on that drive, but they ended up chewing up a lot of clock and, and uh, kind of switched the, 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 um, the, you know, the field and, and, and uh, 
Yeah, that was kind of the moment where you thought, okay, first of all, it was, it was kind of a poor pass by Solon's quarterback, and just you know, kind of a desperation throw to try to make a big play and answer, and ended up going the other way. And and uh, you know, it kind of I think not only did it did it shift the momentum, but it it, it taught Solon that the only way they were going to score is just you know by three, four, five yard chunks, maybe even ten at the time. But they're not going to get that big play, and they, they should try and. And I, I don't think they really went for a whole lot of big plays after that. So, yeah, I mean, but the, you know, the whole night it was just one of those games where I could have mentioned probably just about everybody on, on McKinley's defense, you know, coming up with a big play and um, just you know having their one moment to shine, and, and uh, it just kind of showcased how many weapons they have on offense and defense. Well, Joe, just uh, taking a look at the statistics, seemed like a very efficient effort from the McKinley offense, especially Elijah Curtis, a quarterback. Very nice completion percentage tonight. Yeah, he was 12 of 17, he had 200 yards, and and uh, just kind of the type of game that you expect to see from him, uh, from people that have watched him through the years, just hitting a lot of different receivers and, um, you know, just uh, making the smart play and, and you know, he gives you that sense that even if it's third and ten and um, looking a little down, he'll, he'll just make a big throw that's right on target. And the next thing you know, you, you know, you're continuing to drive. And um, as good as they are at just about every position, he's really the guy that that uh, kind of elevates them from a, a good team to a you know a team that um, that's still alive in the second round of playoffs. Exactly, when you're having that kind of completion percentage and avoiding mistakes, didn't look like there were any turnovers tonight for the Bulldogs. You give yourself a pretty good chance to win in the playoffs. Yeah, they just, uh, they just, you know, they're a nice team, and, and obviously, Jeremy Metter in the second round is, is going to be a tough task for them. But uh, you know, you look at where they came from; they, they they lost just about every starter they had last year, except one or two guys on each side of the ball. And, and here they are, nine and two. They're they're still alive, and you know, they're they're co league champions. And so I think no matter what happens next week, it's already it's already like a really nice season for them. Exactly, and for everything on the McKinley Bulldogs, you can be sure to check FridayNightOhio.com throughout the week and keep it right here on Omni FN. We'll have podcasts next week. All things Bulldogs will be here, Joe. All right, well, thanks for having me on, guys. We're going to turn our attention to Maslin now, where the Tigers outlasted Walnut Ridge 45-14 to in the first round. Right now, we're bringing in Chris Easterling from the Maslin Independent. As we mentioned, he was off there in Paul Brown Tiger Stadium to see the Tigers take on Walnut Ridge tonight, Mike. Yeah, and Chris, uh, we were talking earlier, uh, Maslin fell behind in this game in the first half, uh, uh, but they were able to pull away at the end. Uh, what, did you see out of, uh, what did you see out of Maslin tonight as they improved to 11-0? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've talked, we hear it said so much that week 11 for both Maslin and McKinley can often be, you know, huge hurdles because of all the emotion and physicality of the week before that week 10 game. And I, I think he saw a little hangover there, but I also think that, you know, I give Walden Ridge a lot of credit because they, uh, I think they had a great defensive plan. Uh, to just try to take away the running game for Maslin, and they played it about as well as anybody has, uh, you know, this this year, and really throwing a lot of uh, run blitzes at, at at the Tigers, and a lot of you know shifting up front. But 
credit to Maslin because they showed once again that you have to play four quarters with them, and they are going to, you know, nine times out of ten, they're going to win that fourth quarter, and they did so again tonight, uh, scoring the last 28 points to turn what was a three-point game in the third quarter into a uh, into a running clock game by the, uh, by the, by the time the thing was over. Now, we've raved a lot this year about, uh, you know, the weapons Maslin has on offense. But uh, tonight, uh, two defensive touchdowns, one from Cameron Simpson and the other from Kaishad Mack, who really, I think his pick six was the uh, was the one that gave uh, the Tigers the momentum. Yeah, you know, Kaishad actually had, had, I think, had a hand on both offense and defense and kind of getting the Tigers going is, you know, <laughs> excuse me. It's seven three Walnut Ridge, and and Masson was really struggling to get anything going offensively. And he has three consecutive catches to take him from their own forty four to the uh, Walnut Ridge uh, thirty one. I believe they go in, they score a touchdown to take the lead uh, back at ten seven, and then he turns right around, picks off a, a deflected pass at the thirty six, and and runs it back for a touchdown, and suddenly a game that Madison was really struggling to get much going, and you know they have the they have the momentum firmly in in, in their hands at uh, at seventeen seven. What did you see from uh, Madison's offense tonight? Uh, Jameer Thomas did not have the the huge game that he had against McKinley last week, but uh, it seemed like the, there was a little balance there with the running game. Zion Pfeiffer with uh, 85 yards and a touchdown and uh, Aiden Longwell with over 200 yards passing. Yeah. I, you know, that's, I think that's sort of the, the beauty of their offense is that it's hard to take everything away from them because you know, on a night when the running game wasn't there, you know, at least the way it had been even, you know, a week ago, you know, in the win over McKinley, you know, they, they, they can throw the football. And, and, you know, Trey Morgan didn't have a, a great night catching the ball, but Jaden Ballard had a huge night um, for him. You see, look at your eight catches, 97 yards, a touchdown. He came up with some huge catches. Kaishaw Mack, uh, again, uh, you know, made some big catches. Andrew Wilson Lamp, another sophomore, you know, in the receiving game, you know, had a couple of big catches to keep the the chains moving. And you know, again, there's just so many different ways this Tiger team can can beat a team that it, it really is difficult over the span of four quarters to totally take them out of their game. And you know, eventually, they'll find something that that, or at least they have to this point, found something to work for them. And tonight it was, you know, well-tied passes and, and some big runs when they needed them from, from both Zion and Jameer. And we don't want to leave out the Tigers special teams either, Chris. They had a blocked punt tonight for a touchdown. It was sort of a uh, an up-and-down special teams game. Uh, you know, they also gave a – you know, the, they fell behind because of a blocked punt also. But, uh, but you know, you know it, it – but getting that block punt, that you know, that led to a field goal uh, early on uh, for them in a three nothing lead. Alex Bauer, you know, has, has continued to get better and better all season, kicking you know, kicking the ball for them, and, and you know, they get another field goal for them, and you know, they, they they just they really do all three phases. You know, you know, they, they seem to find ways to make plays in all three phases, and. 
and I think that's a big reason why the you know I think people look at them the way they do as as a team that you know would have been absolutely shocking to see them lose in week eleven and and obviously they didn't and they move on now to week twelve where I think getting over that week eleven hump you uh, has proven in the past to be to to be kind of a, a stress reliever for them you know take the weight off their shoulders and, and it'll be interesting to see how they play next week against Whitehall yearling because I would expect maybe a little more relaxed mass on team now that you know they've gotten past the as Nate Moore says the two week grind that is uh, McKinley. All right, we'd like to thank Chris for uh, coming on and talking to us tonight. Always a pleasure to have you on, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. All right, we're going to keep things moving in just a moment. We're going to have Jim Thomas on. It was obviously one of the most exciting games of the night tonight, Mike. Yeah, the uh, Alliance Aviators looked like they had a victory up at Medina Buckeye, and then just like that, on their only completion of the game, Medina Buckeye gets a touchdown and beats the Aviators 28-25, and we're bringing in uh, Jim Thomas, who covered the game for us. And uh, Jim, what was that last few minutes of that game just like? I mean, it just when Alliance thought they had all the momentum, just like that, it, it it's gone. Well, you know, before before that, I mean, it looked like the game was over. Buckeye was driving and driving, converting third downs, second downs, and, uh, you know, they march inside Alliance's 20. All they need to do is hold on to the ball and run out the clock, and the game's over. And then uh, the next thing you know, Aaron Maley's falling on a ball. Uh, they knock the ball free, and Alliance has life with, like, 2.30 to play. And... You know, you get the ball there, and, and this field was a quagmire. I mean, standing on it for the last three, four minutes of the game was incredible, and just I'm still muddy. But how how a quarterback can stand back there and kind of running, kind of moving, and throw the ball long like Brandon Alexander did um, to, to Geyer for an 80-yard touchdown, it just it sucked the life out of the uh, Buckeye stands. And, and, I mean, it was just an incredible feeling. Alliance had been behind all game, and there's not much time. Next thing you know, they're ahead, and they're going crazy. And uh, it, it was an incredible feeling, and I really thought Alliance was going to win the game. And uh, it took one play by the other team to just suck the life out. And uh, that was the other amazing thing because you never thought they were going to hit a play. They hadn't completed a pass all night. They'd only tried a couple. And both teams tried one pass in the first half because the conditions were so poor. And and they both were running the ball well. So that was the plan. And then when you've got to throw with a couple minute, uh, minute and whatever it was, 40 seconds to play or something, and to make a perfect throw to the right kid, um, you just got to give uh, Jacob Dorge and uh, Anthony Watkins credit for making the, the play, the combination there that, you know, won the game for them. And they're both seniors, and, uh, you know, they win their 10th straight game. They go 6-0 and at home, and they win the first playoff game in school history. And you feel great for them, and then you feel just horrible for Alliance in the way it ended. Um, Alliance was able to come back from a, a big deficit early uh, in this game. What was the uh, what was the thing that led them back tonight? I believe they fell behind twenty one six at one point, and uh, yeah, they 
they were down 14-0 right off the bat. And initially, you know, you thought that this game was going to be all Buckeye. Um, they came down and scored right away. And and then uh, George made a great 53-yard run right through the heart of the Alliance team. And uh, and it looked like it was going to be their night. But then Alliance just settled, settled in and ran behind the big line. And uh, uh, Noah Durst. Uh, Hawkins and DeMarco Brooks and, and Alexander all ran the ball effectively. Um, and they just never quit. They never quit. Um, when they got this late touchdown at the end of the uh, half, I think that was a big key for them right there. Uh, Brooks went in from 16 yards out, and that made it uh, – 21 to 13. So they're only down a touchdown and two point conversion. So they were back in it. And I think a lot of people that were in the booth thought Alliance had momentum coming out to start the second half because they were getting the ball. So they come out and they put together the best drive of the game 15 plays. Um, <laughs> they get the ball to, at the 45 yard line to start. And they just kept running, uh, like two yards, six yards, seven yards, none, five, three. Um, it was third and five, and uh, and the Bucks jumped offside to give them a first down. And then they converted a fourth and one, and it's uh, third and five at the six-yard line, incompletion. And uh, they're they're trying to figure out what to do. They're hurrying up. They're hurrying up. I know. I didn't know if they're going to kick a field goal to try and get it back within uh, uh, inside of a touchdown. And um, Coach Whiting said afterwards that he wanted to call a timeout. They were trying to get people in. They had a play in mind, and instead, at the last second, they just went with it. And the players were hurrying, and uh, Alexander threw a pass into the end zone that Hawkins intercepted and ran it out to the uh, 22. So that, you know, you get 15 plays, uh, you don't get anything out of it. That really hurt right there. But they were in the game. I mean, that let them know that they were coming back. And then they went three and out. And that was those were the only three plays that Buckeye ran the entire third quarter. No first downs, three plays. So Alliance comes back with 13 more plays. They were in 28 plays, the Buckeyes three, at the beginning of the second half. Yeah, you mentioned that. It seemed like the explosive plays were the one thing uh, lacking for Alliance. You mentioned in uh, your story on FridayNightOhio.com, the big runs just weren't quite there tonight, and they had to rely on those long drives. Yeah, you know, I hadn't seen them all year, Cliff, like you had, um, so I wasn't sure what kind of a team they were, but to me, they were bangers. I mean, they really were physical on both sides of the ball. Um, they had their issues with tackling because of the mud, um, just as Buckeye did. But, uh, you know, I, I thought they were effective running the ball. They only had three plays of 10 yards or more on the uh, ground. Meanwhile, you know, they only throw the ball a few times, and they have a 24-yard touchdown and an 80-yarder. So they hit the big plays with the pass, but uh, didn't get them with the run. And then they didn't get the turnovers either. They got the big strip at the end, but uh, – as you had mentioned in your pregame stuff, you know, uh, Cameron Cox had the five touchdowns, and uh, they just weren't getting the plays to uh, turn over against that team. They, they were a pretty effective and efficient team, the Buckeyes. Yeah, Aaron Maley did have the big strip at the end. That's something that's kind of been a hallmark of his game all year. What did you think of uh, Mr. Maley, Jim? Um, I thought 
thought he was. I thought he was very good. I thought he was the effective guy in the defense out there. Um, Demarco Brooks was all over the field, both sides of the ball. Um, I liked uh, Jaden Seals. He was uh, he was a, a crafty guy. Uh, there was a fumble at the end zone, and he hustled in and picked the ball up like at the one or at the one-inch line and got a touchdown uh, to really to really help out the Lions um, and also made a big catch later on. Um, but they were really hurt by the kicking game tonight. They had a blocked PAT. They had an unsportsman like uh, on a PAT that when they were going to go for two to tie the game, that set them back 15 yards. And then they had another pass fail later. So they were playing from behind because of that. Um, that and getting nothing out of that 15 play drive hurt and then they got tricked on a fourth down fake punt um, that set up a touchdown and uh, and it was Hawkins he's not even their punter I mean this kid did everything he intercepts a pass he catches the game winning touchdown he's back in the punting position and the guys in the press box at Buckeye go hey who's punting back there and they said is it the uh, Number four, who's this? Uh, I can't think of his name right now. And I said, No, that's Hawkins. And they said, He doesn't punt the ball. And somebody immediately goes, It's going to be a fake. Uh, and it was. And they picked up the first down just barely. And then they turned that into a touchdown. And that was a huge, huge swing. All right, Jim, we appreciate you coming on tonight and talking everything uh, Buckeye and Alliance. Again, Alliance Falls 28-25 and one of the most exciting games of the night. Thanks a lot, Cliff. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you, Jim. And we had some other games that we don't have callers for, Mike. Uh, Canfield defeated Marlington tonight 35-10. to uh, Malin Klinkscale had 177 yards rushing and two touchdowns. He also had a pick six for Canfield. Marlington really banged up, Mike. They're missing two defensive or two offensive and defensive linemen. Garrett Young was lost for the season a couple weeks ago. Their best lineman, John Miller, starting guard out tonight against a big physical Canfield team, still managed to hang in this game though. Travis Winuskis had a two-yard rushing touchdown. Colton Wade, 21-yard field goal. Blaine Himmelheber had eight catches for 79 yards. Valiant effort by the Dukes, but just so many injuries this year. Yeah, the injuries, that, you know, especially now at this time of year, they come up. You know, it's just a just an inopportune time. Marlington uh, loses to Alliance last week and falls in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, you know, still, uh, you know, when you look back on it, uh, an eight-win season. A lot of teams will take that. Uh, they they had a great run after losing their season opener uh, to put themselves uh, in position to possibly win uh, the first Eastern Buckeye Conference Championship. They lose last week, but still make it to the playoffs. And uh, they go down tonight against uh, uh, a Canfield team who I believe was ranked number one in the state at one point this season. In yes, they three. absolutely were number one seed in Region 9 and Division Three, Just a tough team, and they've kind of cut a swath through the area. They beat Louisville earlier this year. They beat Alliance 35-0 earlier this year. So the Cardinals have kind of worked their way through the Eastern Buckeye Conference and Stark County as a whole at this point. Right. And uh, I believe uh, another game tonight, uh, uh, 
that affects uh, the Maslin Tigers. I was about to mention it. There you go. Uh, Columbus uh, Whitehall yearling uh, knocked off uh, Dover by a score of uh, 38-31. Whitehall yearling jumped out to a big lead early, and then Dover rallied. Uh, But Whitehall yearling will uh, go on to uh, play uh, Maslin in a uh, second-round game next week. Guessing maybe Mansfield, but you know that's uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, where uh, the OHSA puts that game. Oh yeah, that was one of the most shocking results of the night. We kept uh, looking at that one. Scoring was going back and forth. The phone was ringing off the hook with the updates. You could barely keep up with it at times. But Yearling finds a way to survive, and that that was a big win. It was ringing off the hook with updates. It but. absolutely was, and uh, that's that's not. We're not done for the weekend, though, Mike. We're done for tonight, but we're going to talk about some of the games tomorrow. Some of the teams uh, you've seen and are familiar with. Uh, first off, we have Sandy Valley at Manchester, seven p.m. tomorrow, Mike. What are you looking for in that one? Well, that's an old Pack Seven matchup from back in the day when Sandy Valley was in the. Uh, on uh, the Pac-7, uh, Sandy Valley didn't fare very well against Manchester back in those years, but now uh, Brian Gamble has him back in the playoffs after a uh, uh, a nine and one regular season Intervalley Conference North Division Championship, first league title in sixty two years, and uh, you can have uh, two dynamic players on the field with uh, Cameron Blair, a quarterback for uh, Manchester or for Sandy Valley, and uh, Ethan Wright on the field for uh, Manchester. You know, Manchester's got you know playoff experience of having been there before, but uh, you know this Sandy Valley team is 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 really really good, and uh, uh, you know if they can uh, give Cameron Blair protection, uh, you know allow him enough time to get the ball to his talented receivers like uh you know Brody and Bryce Kelly and if Brendan Abradovich can get things rolling in the backfield uh you know Sandy Valley has a real good chance of of going up to Manchester and and knocking off a team that that has been giving up a lot of points lately uh uh absolutely it's uh they've they've had uh They've had their moments. They've also had some big come-from-behind wins. They were down to Orville 21-0 before rallying to win that one. So this could get wild, Mike. There's a there's a potential for a lot of scoring, as you mentioned. Right. And, uh, you know, Manchester really traditionally a, a, a powerhouse. Yeah. yeah, we see them in the playoffs every year. Uh, Jim France, winningest coach in Ohio. It's, 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 a, it's a great program. Um, you know, Sandy Valley's going to – it's going to, they're going to be up against it when uh, they they go up there but uh, you know I wish I could go watch it I'm not going to be there but that 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 would be a great game to as watch a, as a fan it is an exciting matchup I think that may end up being one of the the juiciest matchups on paper the entire week also Mike a team you've seen a lot East Canton they draw Ashtabula St John's tomorrow what are we looking at with the Hornets. Well, Ashtabula St. John's, I don't know if you want to call it a, a, a Cinderella story. Maybe it is a Cinderella story. This is a program um, that back in the 1980s, when they were Ashtabula St. John and Paul, had a really good football program. Uh, the school became Ashtabula St. John, and they did not have football in the OHSAA up until a few years ago. And uh, they haven't won very many games uh, prior to this year. And this year they had a great season, uh, getting to the playoffs uh, for the first time as uh, 
Ashtabula St. John's. So uh, it's been a really good comeback story for them and for, for East Canton, uh, this being in the playoffs for the third straight year for the first time in school history, um, we you know we've talked this bef- talked about this before. They've they've had to really deal with a number of injuries, you know, kind of like what Marlington's had to deal with. Uh, but they've had to overcome that, and they get, were able to get Nathaniel Sumtimer back last week. Uh, talked with him earlier this week, and there was a point this season when he uh, injured his knee that. You know, they were thinking maybe torn ACL and that he would be out for the season, and uh, and that would be at, that would be that. But uh, the MRI came back showing that that wasn't the case, and he was able to get in action last week. So uh, his return is a big help for for East Canton's offense that uh, that had to get developed depth in the backfield uh, out of necessity this year when he went out. And, uh, and of course, Cody Vacco, uh, first year as the starting quarterbacks, having a uh, tremendous year. Obviously, he's their uh, offensive MVP. So uh, I'm thinking that, uh, uh, you know, East Canton, you know, is, is, the favorite, is the favorite in this game, and, and, and they'll move on. And uh, they might have a chance to uh, face Cuyahoga Heights again if they're able to win tomorrow night. Uh, the team that uh, that uh, they faced in the second round of the playoffs last year. Absolutely something to keep an eye on. And we have one final area team in action. It's Tuslaw at Orville. Orville, one of the most high-powered offenses in the entire coverage area. We've seen them put up points all season long. Right. And uh, we talked about, uh, you know, a few minutes ago, talked about that wild game they had with, uh, uh, with uh, Manchester. But... Uh, you know, with Tesla, it's. Uh, I mean, you're you're probably playing with house money here. I mean, exactly. you're the eight seed going up against the number one seed. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, outside of Tesla are probably looking at them and saying, you know, Warville's the Warville's the favorite here. I mean, you know, Tesla really's got nothing to lose, and and they've, you know, they've had a great run at, during the latter half of the season, and you know, it's the playoffs, Cliff. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. And quietly, like you said, one of the strongest finishes in the area. Right. And they were able to uh, uh, hold on uh, last week. That that would have been kind of interesting last week to – uh, they were in a position where they had a they had a big lead in their game against uh, Fairless, their rival, and Fairless was coming back, and, and Tesla had to win that game to get in the playoffs. So if they would have lost, that would have been it. But they were able to – uh, you know, overcome that rally and get into the playoffs, and 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 they hadn't been to the playoffs for a while. So um, you know, it's good to see uh, a, an area school that you know hasn't had a taste of the postseason for a while. You know, get that opportunity uh, as Tussle will tomorrow night. Absolutely, and those are all the games you can look forward to starting at 7 p.m. on Saturday. You can go to FridayNightOhio.com. We'll have scoring updates there, all the all the news you need to know, Mike. Yep, and check that out. And, of course, uh, uh, next week uh, we'll have uh, um, stories about uh, uh, McKinley uh, with their game against Menor and uh, uh, Maslin you know, taking on uh, – uh, Columbus Whitehall yearling and uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow night we might have a lot more stories and uh, more podcasts coming up 
Exactly. So you can check back for another podcast next week for Mike Popovich, Joe Scalzo, Chris Easterling, Jim Thomas, and Cliff Hickman. We'll catch you next time on the Friday Night Ohio podcast powered by Goodwill. Goodwill.